right. Welcome to River Glen, everybody. Great to see you. And thanks so much for making River Glen part of your weekend. Well, a beautiful day uh, today. Anybody get out and enjoy the weather uh, today? Yeah, awesome out there. But um, we've had some pretty crazy weather recently. Uh, Thursday night, we had a a storm. And uh, I know I woke up in the middle of the night. That doesn't happen uh, very often. And uh, maybe you remember last month, we had a really uh, severe storm. It got so severe, the weather service issued a tornado uh, warning. And in our neighborhood, the sirens went off. Uh, my cell phone went off. I never had that happen uh, before. Anybody remember that storm that, that I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that was a bad one. And our, our, our family actually went down in the, in the basement. And anybody else go down in the basement? Yeah, oh yeah, quite, quite a few. Yeah, it got a little scary, didn't it? Uh, I, you know, I can't remember the last time that I got down in the basement for a, uh, a storm, but um, uh, it, it, it got pretty intense, but fortunately it passed uh, quickly. Well, today, I want to talk to you about storms, but not weather-related storms, unwanted personal storms that just have a way of coming into our life, and they fill us with fear, they rock us, they threaten destruction. And the truth is that storm avoidance is not an option. Every one of us, you know, everyone here is either in a storm right now, or maybe you're coming out of a storm, or maybe you're heading into a storm, or maybe you're sitting next to your storm. I don't, I don't know, but we all have storms to go through. And uh, many of us probably have some sayings, maybe some quotes that we turn to that just keep us going through storms and adversity. Maybe, maybe it's a quote from a book or a movie or a, a president. Maybe you've got it hanging, you know, on the wall in your home or in your office, but it motivates and inspires you to keep going. I got a few here I want to show you, like this first one here. Maybe you've heard this one before. It's not whether you get knocked down or it's whether you get back up. That's a good one, isn't it? And then here's another one. I like this one. Turn your wounds into wisdom. That's positive, isn't it? That's encouraging. You've probably seen uh, lots of motivational quotes like these on on posters, you know, walking through the mall, like this one here that says, uh, things come, uh, things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln said that, and uh, that's motivating, isn't it? But have you ever seen demotivating uh, posters? Uh, These are tongue-in-cheek responses to the uh, uh, more inspirational ones, like this one on procrastination. It says, hard work often pays off after time, but laziness always pays off now. Not the one you want to see hanging on the wall in your teenager's bedroom, right? So there's a lot of quotes out there, and, you know, there's some of them that are good, that can can help us keep going through those storms, through the uh, difficulties. A few years ago, I came across one that stuck with me. Maybe you've heard it before. And it stuck with me, not because it's motivational or funny. I think it's true. Charles Swindoll said this, that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. In other words, much of what happens in our life is our reaction to what happened rather than what actually happened. Does that make sense? I mean, we think about the things that happen uh, to us day by day, whether it's getting cut off in traffic or waking up with the flu or we go through the you know, fast food drive through and they mess up our order. Our response to what happens Uh, defines us and our character far more than what actually happened. I mean, many of us have probably seen a drastic change in our mood simply because of a few green lights or red lights in a row running late to a a meeting at work. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how you respond. Maybe it's starting to make sense. And then sometimes we run into a major storm, a severe storm. We lose our job or he walks out on us. 
or somebody that we loved dies, or maybe we get a call from the doctor's office and he or she wants to meet with us in the office about the x-rays. Storms happen. But if, if this quote is true, then what happens to us, even the most devastating storms, only makes up 10% of our life. The other 90% is defined by how we respond. But here's what we do so often in the midst of a, of a storm. We, we wind up blaming the storm, or we blame other people, or we blame our boss, or we blame the government, instead of focusing on how to respond to what happened. Many people spend their life just focusing on the 10%. But, but today, I want to invite you to consider the 90%, the other 90%, and see if positive changes begin to happen in your life. Well, today we're continuing this series called Love Can. And what we're doing is we're focusing on how God's love can transform every aspect of our lives. Today, we're going to look at the reality that love can overcome our circumstances. Love, God's love can help us overcome the 10% and find something far greater in the other 90. But let's start with this uh, reality. Sometimes life just feels overwhelming and uh, we feel crushed or defeated. But rather than face the circumstances, rather than deal with the, the problem, we tend to blame the storm or others, as I mentioned, or we try to escape the problem. You ever find yourself trying to escape your problems? You know, maybe we try to escape by watching television and eating a gallon of ice cream. Sometimes I uh, try to escape by eating my favorite comfort food at home, uh, chocolate chip waffles. Yeah, I put a lot of chocolate chips on there. Sometimes I'll put some butterscotch chips in there and put some whipped cream on top. And for about 10 minutes, I feel good. And then I get sick. Or we go shopping, or we have a drink, or we play the slots at the casino or something else. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston, and, and look at what she writes. We are the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. I'm going to read that again to let it sink in. We're the most in-debt, obese, addicted, and medicated adult cohort in U.S. history. With the average American, $15,000 in credit card debt, and over 40 million Americans addicted to drugs and alcohol and anxiety medications topping out at about 50 million prescriptions each year, I would say that the research supports what she says. So, so what does that mean? I think it reveals that we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, and so we look to escape them, and oftentimes we find ourselves worse off in the end. Why is that? Maybe it's because life is 10% what happens to us, and 90% how we respond. So what is the appropriate response to challenging circumstances? What can we do with that 90%? If, if escaping and blaming are not the appropriate response, what is? Well, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app or if you want to use the, the Bible in the chair back in front of you, I want to invite you to turn to, to the uh, book of Mark, chapter 4. The book of Mark is in the New Testament. It's right after the book of Matthew and right before the book of, of Luke. And we're going to look at a story that I think will help us learn how to respond to our circumstances. Let me briefly set the story up for you. Jesus has just spent a full day teaching. And he decides to get in a boat with his disciples and go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. This is where we pick up the story. It says, that day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, it's important to notice this phrase, furious squall. Anybody know what a squall is? 
You know, maybe you remember this movie that came out a few years ago called uh, White Squall, okay? A squall, by definition, is a sudden, violent gust of wind or a localized storm, especially with, with rain, sleet, or snow. And notice the language here. It wasn't just any squall. It says it was a furious squall that almost sinks the boat. Imagine how scared you would feel in a sinking boat in the middle of a furious squall. But look at this next line here. There's a storm threatening the boat, and Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Isn't that amazing? The thunder roars, and Jesus snores. The apostles or the disciples are screaming, and Jesus is dreaming. I mean, he's just sleeping in the boat during this furious squall. It's like when our kids were little at home, we've got three kids, and when they were little babies, you know, they would wake up in the middle of the night, and they would cry, and I would just sleep right through it, or at least I would pretend to sleep right uh, through it. But Jesus is not pretending here. Maybe Jesus was a heavy sleeper, or maybe he's really tired because it says that he taught all day, but Jesus sleeps, and the disciples panic. Now, I know we're in the middle of the story here, but I want to hit the pause button for a moment, and I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like the disciples in that boat. Maybe, maybe you're not literally out on the water in a storm, but have you ever felt like everything's just caving in on you? You know, your relationship is sinking, your finances are tanking, you can't find a job, your career's not going anywhere. And maybe it's not just one of them, maybe it's all of them at the same time. You ever been in a place where your circumstances were so bad? I mean, you, you, you don't even know where to start cleaning up. And maybe you felt like you didn't want to clean up you wanted to give up. This is important because this is the moment when many of us, you know, hit that escape button. This is where we run to the bottle or the, or the, or the pills or the, or the credit card. It's where we stop opening the bills. It's where, it's where we close off from friends and, and family. And if you've been there before or you're there now, you've got something in common with the disciples in that sinking boat. But I want you to notice how they respond. The disciples run to the back of the boat looking for Jesus. They, they wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I know that it, it, it's easy to pick on the disciples for, for questioning Jesus and, and panicking and, and worrying. But you know what? In my opinion, the disciples did the right thing because they took their problem straight to Jesus. They weren't sure whether or not he cared but they took their concerns to him anyway. I mean, if 10% of life is what happens and 90% is how we respond, we can at least credit the disciples because they took their problems to Jesus first. And if 10% of life is what happens and 90% is how we respond, what are you and I gonna do in the middle of the storm? Are we gonna try and escape and just figure it out on our, on our own? Or will we, even if we're not quite sure he cares, will we bring our problem to Jesus. I love how author Chris Travis puts it. He says, make prayer your first response, not your last resort. That's good, isn't it? When life overwhelms you, and at some point we're all going to feel overwhelmed by a storm, but rather than blaming or escaping or avoiding, make prayer your first response rather than a last resort. And here's something I just love about the disciples asking Jesus this question, don't you care? I mean, it's okay to be honest with Jesus. I don't, I don't picture the disciples just calmly asking, you know, Jesus, you know, do you care? No, I think they cried out to him. And this concept of crying out to God occurs throughout Scripture. It, this concept of crying out to God is referenced 50, over 50 times in the book of Psalms. So in the storms, it's not only okay to cry out to God, 
It's important to cry out to him with whatever you're feeling. I mean, think about it. Part of any relationship, healthy relationship, is being able to share your feelings. And why should a relationship with God be any, any different? That's what the disciples did, and that's what we can do. Cry out to him with whatever questions and doubts and fears you have. He can handle it. And it's part of learning how to weather, it's, it's part of our learning how to weather storms. And so they encounter this furious squall, this really bad storm, and the disciples fear for their lives, and they question Jesus about whether or not he cares about them. And then here's how Jesus responds. He got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, as you hear this part of the story, maybe you're like me, and you feel mixed. You feel, you feel conflicted, because you know, on the one hand, I mean, I just stand in awe of this miracle that Jesus did. I mean, actually, he did two miracles here. He stopped the wind, and then he calmed the water. Because normally, the Sea of Galilee, after a storm, would take hours for it to calm down. And in a moment, the wind stops, and the water's as smooth as glass. Only God could demonstrate that kind of power over the wind and the water. And it says the disciples were amazed and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I read that and I think, that's the Jesus I follow. That's the Jesus that I serve. He can calm the worst storm by just saying the word. He's not a small Jesus. He's a big, powerful Jesus. But then another part of me wonders, if he's capable of calming any storm, then why isn't he doing it? Why do I still feel overwhelmed and afraid and in debt and unemployed? Jesus seems to listen to the disciples. Why doesn't he listen to me? And so I want to share with you a truth about life and Jesus that I think arises from this story that has helped me, and maybe it'll help you too. But as I share it, it, it may cause you to feel a little uncomfortable at first. Maybe you've heard the old saying that the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you miserable. And you might find yourself feeling that way, but stick with me, all right? I know many of us feel exhausted and overwhelmed and anxious, and maybe we're tired of waiting, and maybe we're thinking God is never going to come through with his promises. But it might be that we are banking on God to come through with promises that God's never made to us. Did you catch that? Maybe some of us feel disappointed with God about a promise that he's never made. And so I want to show you something. It's a list of all the promises that God's never made to you, okay? God has never put his hand on the Bible and said, I promise that I will do these things for you, okay? For example, God's never promised us wealth, health, spouse, good looks. God's never promised you recognition, marital bliss, stellar career, achievements. God's never promised you and I a bigger house, children without issues, Everything to go your way, anything to go your way. God's never promised those things. Now, now, please understand, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray for these things. I mean, it's fine to pray for these things. But it, should, but, it, but it should give us pause when we think God's not listening or that he's failed us. Here, here's my point. We must remember what God has promised and has not promised. Uh, you know, if you look at this story about Jesus, you know, in the boat, if you look at it closely, when, when Jesus tells his disciples uh, to get in the boat. He says, uh, let's go across the sea. He doesn't say, let's go to the middle and drown. He made a promise that he would take them to the other side. But the disciples did not remember the promise Jesus made, and that's why they panicked. 
And although God hasn't promised to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise, it's very important for us to remember that he's promised us something that's far, far greater. You know, take a look, take a look at, this, at this list of, of God's promises to us. Freedom from the need to worry. Provision of all our needs. Unconditional love. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's promised that he'll be with us wherever we go. And he's promised that he'll redeem us and reconcile us through his son. He's already done that one. And he's promised to bring restoration and renewal to our world. It might help to see uh, both lists uh, together. See, I think one of the primary reasons that we think God doesn't care or he's not listening to us when we feel overwhelmed is that we've believed a lie that maybe somebody told us when we became a Christian that everything would get easy. Or that the goal is to get everything that we want. So we start to think that if we pray to God, you know, he'll just say the word and calm the storm. But then if the storm continues, our faith in God begins to wane. But God hasn't promised that uh, to you. He's promised you something that's far better. You see, if we have this expectation that God's going to make our lives trouble-free, then we'll always be disappointed in him. And we'll treat our relationship with God as nothing more than a deal, or a contractual relationship where you say, God, I, God, I will follow you and you will, make my, you will make my life perfect and happy. But what we see from the beginning of Scripture is that God wants a relationship with us, not a deal or a contract, but a real relationship with us. That's why when Jesus came into this world as a baby, we're told that he would be called Emmanuel which means God with us. And that's why Jesus endured the cross. He could have escaped it. He could have avoided it. He could have blamed everyone else for the circumstances he was in, but instead, he endured it because he wants a relationship with you now and, and forever. You know, we, we titled this message, Love Can Overcome My Circumstances, but the reality is that God's love helps us endure our circumstances rather than escaping or blaming. God's love helps us endure it. Because he's with us. I love how author Lewis Smedes puts it. He writes, love is not the secret of escape. It's the power to endure. Love is not the secret to escape. It's the power to endure any, any, any storm that comes your way. That's why the apostle Paul wrote these words about God's love in 1 Corinthians 13, saying, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And, and, and that's better than any contract agreement that you could ever sign with God because God's love always perseveres. So don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't stop praying and bringing your problems to Jesus. Hold on to his love and, and his promises. Now, there's one more part to this story that I skipped over, and I want to come back to it because it's really important. Remember the story of Furious Squall? You know, overcomes the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and they get scared to death, and they run, and they wake up Jesus, and Jesus calms the storm. And then he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you know what is the most often repeated command in Scripture? It's right there. Do not be afraid. The most often repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid, because God is with you wherever you go. And so when your circumstances feel overwhelming and nothing goes your way and it seems like everything is crashing in on you, Jesus says, why are you afraid? I am with you. In other words, life is 10% what happens and 90% how we respond and we never have to respond with fear because the creator of the universe came to be with us 
and love us and to help us persevere even when circumstances feel overwhelming. And so whatever you're going through right now, you may not think he's listening, you may not be certain that he cares about you, but would you respond by bringing your problem to him? Because sometimes God calms the storm externally, but God always calms his children internally with his love and his presence and his promises. As I reflected on his love this week, it, it, it brought to mind two places where I have uh, seen uh, God's love that I'll never forget. A week before last marked the 14th anniversary of 9-11, just uh, eight days ago was the 14th anniversary. A few months ago, uh, my wife Marnie and I had the opportunity to visit the uh, 9-11 memorial in New York City for the first time. And it's this amazing memorial uh, filled with these two large fountains that represent the, the, the footprints of the two giant towers that fell on that fateful uh, morning. Nearly 3,000 people lost their life. Just a horrific uh, tragedy. As we walked into this uh, memorial, we saw the fountains, but also on the acreage, we saw 400 oak trees, just nature and beauty and growth. But in the midst of all these oak trees, there's one, there's one pear tree, and it's different. And it's called the uh, survivor's tree. And it has an interesting story that I think can inspire us to hold on to God's love and endure our circumstances. See, it was originally planted when the towers were built in the 1970s, and it stood on the property until 9-11 when the buildings fell and the concrete and the steel and the fire destroyed this pear tree. But as the crews cleaned cleaned up the debris, they found this tree. It was just a stump, just an eight-foot stump. So they transplanted the tree to a nearby park, and they nursed it back to health, And the tree began to grow, and it became beautiful again. It grew to over 30 feet, and every spring it would burst forth with flowers. But then in March of 2010, another storm came through New York City, and it blew the pear tree over again. But living up to its name, the the survivor tree began to grow again. It faced another challenge, another situation to overcome, and it began to grow. And then they moved it from the city park back to the World Trade Center, as a reminder to all of us, as we think of the tragedies and the lost lives and the destruction, that, that love endures. And we're survivors. And I don't know where you're at today. You might feel like an eight-foot stump. You might feel like your circumstances are unfair. You might feel like storms just keep blowing your tree over again and again. But God's love endures and survives And you will too, if you hold on. Life is 10% what happens and 90% how we respond. And if you hold on, God's love will make your life beautiful. I'll never forget visiting the 9-11 memorial last spring. And I'll never forget uh, visiting another location several years ago on the other side of the world. Back in uh, the fall of 2008, I was able to visit one of the poorest places in all the world in the uh, slums of Nairobi, Kenya where 40% of the population are uh, infected with HIV. And the actual number is probably higher than that. 40% is just the number of people who've actually tested positive. And these people don't have health care. They don't have utilities or sewerage. It's just awful circumstances. And you would think that you know, everybody in the slum would be depressed and full of despair. And there is a lot of that. But I also saw God's love show up in that slum. I saw people holding on to God's love and living beautiful lives. Take a look at this example. Maneno ya kenyo tangu 
During the time that our social workers were going out in the community, at one point they found Jane feeling very unwell, sickly, turned out to be HIV positive. And of course that is always very devastating. And Jane, uh, let alone, accepted Jesus as her savior. And then she joined our church in Pangani. She became stronger and stronger. I joined to the church here in Pangani. My pastor is Pastor Stephen Onyango. And he introduced me with a Bible study. And I was following to the classes, baptism. And after that, I joined a praise and worship team. I think for me, without singing, I, I feel like I lack, I lack something. <laughs> because when I, when I sing, I feel good and joy, and I feel my heart is, is, is good. She's also skilled, naturally. She is talented, and she can do uh, hairdressing. So she ended up starting a business of hairdressing and sewing so that she can be able to earn a living. When I look at Jane, I just see a good example of a life that has been transformed uh, just through the love of Jesus, through the people in Missions of Hope, the people that partner with us, and also the fact that her children are able to be uh, in the Missions of Hope schools. When I talk about my life, let me talk the good things about my life. And I feel in my heart that it's good for me to go to the, to the community also. If I see somebody who is down, like where I, I came from, I encourage him. Jen has totally been transformed and she's such a living testimony of what God can do. And she's strong. You wouldn't know that she's even living with HIV. She's this beautiful, beautiful woman that you can be able to see what God has done in her life. Jane's a great example of holding on to God's love and how God's love can help us overcome any circumstance. Back in 2009, we started a partnership with Mission of Hope in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. We helped them start a school for children in a slum community called Baba Indogo. Many of us sponsor kids uh, so that they can attend that school and learn about Jesus and receive medications and health care and their families too. And now we have another opportunity. Last weekend, I mentioned a great opportunity coming up for uh, River Glen Church, coming up for River Glen Church to be the love of Jesus. Coming up in two weeks, on the weekend of October 3rd and 4th, we're going to do something that we've never done before. We're calling it our big offering giveaway, and uh, we're just going to give away the entire offering that comes in that weekend. Everything that comes in electronically or in the bags, we're going to give it away to help people outside of our church experience God's love, and we're trusting God to sustain our church on 51 offerings this coming uh, year. Last weekend, I talked about the first mission that we're going to support through the offering giveaway. In partnership with Habitat for Humanity, we want to build a new house for a low-income family in Waukesha. Our goal is to give $25,000 
to, uh, to build this house. And we have a, a specific location picked out, and we're planning also to send volunteers to help build it. Wouldn't it be great to build a new home for a low-income family in, in Waukesha as a demonstration of God's uh, love? And then the second mission that we're planning to help through our offering giveaway is the mission of hope in Nairobi, Kenya. You know, they've, they've now started several schools throughout the slums in Nairobi, and their, their schools are thriving, but they need more computers and office equipment in their schools, and they need chairs for the new church that has started in Baba Ndogo, and the pastor of the new church needs salary and health care, and so we want to give them a gift. Mary Kamau, who you saw in the video, she's the founder and leader of Mission of Hope, in Nairobi. She's actually going to be here with us in three weeks. And here's our goal. We want to hand her a check uh, for Mission of Hope for $25,000 to help more children and their families in the slums discover and experience God's love. Wouldn't that be great? Marnie and I are really excited and we're planning to give our biggest offering of the year that weekend. And we hope that you too. We believe that God wants to use us to, to be the love to be his love that helps these people overcome their circumstances. And not just in Kenya, right here today in our community and even in our church, our love can help people overcome their circumstances. I mean, if you're struggling today, get connected. Get around other people and God's love will flow into your life and help you endure and help you Overcome. This is a great time of the year to, to get connected. We've got lots of new groups and new classes getting ready to start. Next Sunday is group length to help you find a small group so that you're not weathering storms alone. You need God's love through other people. If you're in the midst of a storm right now, we have Stephen ministers available that would love to come alongside and pray with you and encourage you and just love you through your circumstances. If you're struggling with a habit, a hurt, a hang-up, go to Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights, and love will help you overcome. God wants us to be the love, to be his love that helps people overcome. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus came into this world and he went to the cross to help you and I overcome our worst circumstance. And that's why each week we take time to receive communion and remember the sacrifice of, of, of Jesus. We take a piece of bread that represents Christ's body, and we drink a cup of juice that represents Christ's blood. And what it represents is that Jesus was willing to endure the cross because he wanted a relationship with, with, with you and I that starts now and lasts forever. He could have escaped or blamed or avoided, but he endured it to love us and help us overcome our circumstances. Communion's new to you and, and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But our communion is open to anybody that's open to the love of Jesus. As we remember communion today, let's remember and let's rest in Christ's promise that he goes with us. His love goes with us wherever we go. Let me pray for us before we share communion. God, when, when life gets tough and, and feels overwhelming, and it will for every one of us, God, help us to focus on how we respond to what has happened rather than blaming or, or trying to escape God, we want to hold on to our relationship with you and bring our problems to you and trust your love and your presence to help us endure. God, thank you for Jesus and the way that he willingly endured the cross for us. He could have blamed or escaped. 
but he endured it because he wants a relationship with us now and forever. God, as we share communion, we remember the love of Jesus that we receive. And now we give ourselves to share this love with others. In Jesus' name, amen.